God loves us beyond our, our imagination. We love the law, we sing about it, but God loves us more than we could ever understand, more than we could ever imagine. And God's love for you and I is, I think that, I think about how that so often people are, have thoughts about God, well, he's a, he's a big guy upstairs, they say. Well, in a sense, he is, but he, in a sense, he's more than that. And he came down to where we, you and I live. And he comes down to where you and I live now by his presence, by his spirit. He actually knows all about us anyway. We cannot run or hide from him. We don't want to do that. When we feel like running and hiding, we need to run to him. I believe that it's just as it was in the days, you know, when Adam, when Adam sinned, he was ashamed. He felt ashamed, embarrassed. And so many people are in this trap where they don't feel good enough. And the problem is, is that that is what it is. We aren't good enough. But he makes us good enough. And he gives us an access to him. He opens the door to us. He has our name on his heart today. He has our, our thoughts and what you're, what you're carrying today. He is concerned about as well. And we've been going through First Peter. We went through it. I begin to pick up on, uh, begin to pick up on a theme. And it, this has just, just happened through, through just, just recently going through the study. I didn't have this theme when I started out in the book. But I begin to realize there's a theme that I begin to underline, the word precious. In the New American Standard Version, uh, the word precious appears uh, throughout the first book of Peter several times. And so I begin to uh, write them down and, and begin to summarize. And we're going to be in the second uh, Peter letter, second letter of Peter, uh, just a bit here. But let me catch you up to speed. If you, some of you are busy, it's good to see my brother and his wife Mary here, Moomer and Mary. And so it's good to have them here. And some of our friends, Bob and Brenda, came up today. Blessings on you, others that are here that are faithful. Thank you so much. But the word precious in chapter 1 and verse 7, he says, The proof of your faith being more precious than gold. So your faith is precious. Your faith in God is more precious. Your faith is more valuable than all the gold of the world. Your faith is the most important because your faith links with God. God responds to faith. Without faith, it is impossible. We must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Then we get down to verse 19 in the same chapter, and he mentions the precious blood, that we were redeemed, that we were made spotless by the precious blood of of the lamb. In the Old Testament, they would take the first of the, the, the unblemished lamb, the healthy lamb, and they would sacrifice, and that was, that was sufficient enough to cover the sins. But the precious blood of Jesus takes away our sin. It's like it's never been. And it cleanses us as far as the east is from the west, and so far as he buries our sins in the in the depths of the sea, no longer to be held again. Well, isn't that good news? That we can have a, a heart that can be cleansed and made white, whiter as snow. And some of us were reminded of that this week. Whiter than snow. And so you California people, 
You didn't get this blessing often in California, but in Minnesota, we often get blessed and reminded that Jesus' blood washes us whiter than snow. We get down to chapter 2 in 1 Peter, and we look at verse 6. I'm just summarizing to help us get an overlay of, of the first chapter of first letter of Peter. He mentions the precious cornerstone being a, a block layer by trade it's important that you get the building started right that you let you set the first corner and you make sure the corners are square if you don't have a square building you really have a mess it goes a mess from all the way all the way everyone fights it from from the ground level up if, if the foundation is not square but Jesus comes to make our heart and squares up, put us in right relationship with God. You see, before Christ, we were out of plumb. We were out of square. We were all dilapidated. We were a mess. We were a wreck. But Jesus comes and restores your life and gives you purpose and meaning. He's a precious cornerstone. And so then we get down into the chapter, uh, chapter 2, or chapter... Second Peter chapter 1, rather. And we see here right off the bat at verse 7, at verse 4, rather. For by these he had granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. So we'll call this message Precious Promises. Hang on to the word. Hang on to the promises of God. We're going to read here a bit so we can get the setting. At verse 3, it says, Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and, and godliness, through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence, for by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lusts, now, for this very reason, also applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, your moral excellence knowledge, in your knowledge, self-control, in your self-control, perseverance, in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen. When you have Jesus, you are useful. Sometimes we feel useless. I talk to sometimes older folks, and they don't know what, what's keeping them around. They've reached a place where they feel useless. Listen, if the Holy Spirit is living in us, we're still useful. You can always pray. You can always be in an intercession. You can always be reaching out. You see, love has, has, a, has, a, has goes beyond all, all races. Love goes beyond all prejudices. Love goes beyond all the, all the stuff that, and that, that is wrong and, and, and begins to put it in perspective because God is love. And we read in 1 Peter that love covers a multitude of sins. In other words, for you and I, we have a hard time sometimes being when someone has hurt us or someone, something has happened, but God himself comes and he's the only one that can bring healing. 
He can only, he's the only one that can fix a broken heart. He can only, he's the only one that can truly restore and give, give you more than you had before. It doesn't make sense to you and I in the natural, but because of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are made rich. You are made more than a conqueror through him. You have a life. You have a purpose. You have something that's been unfolded to you, and you and I have the precious promises. We've read about some of them. We read about the fact that he is helping us at verse 4, that you might become partakers of the divine nature. In fact, God himself wants us to partake of him. He wants us to have his nature. He wants to put within his, uh, it is not only the, the, the change of heart, but the want to change of heart. The desire to change starts with a want to, and I talked a little bit about it. God, sometimes we have to pray, oh, Lord, help my want to. Lord, if I don't have the hunger that I should, then I need to pray, Lord, create in me a, an appetite for you. I want to seek you. I want to be found, I want to have that, as Revelation talked about it, having the first love. The kindle the fire, Paul talked about it so often. And he would rekindle the fire. What does that tell me? How many burn wood in your room? You guys know what I'm saying. Kindle the fire. It's sort of like you stoke the, there's a coals, a bed of coals. And so you stir up the, you stir them up and you get that draft going. You get that, that blowing, that air coming through. And the Holy Spirit is like that to our heart. When we begin to press in in prayer, when we begin to press in and praise him, when you begin to press in, God, the Holy Spirit brings to life. It begins to stir us up. I think there's a stirring I think there needs to be a stirring often. That there needs to be fresh, fresh fire. Old Testament, they kept the fire on the altar always going. It was a job of the priests. And part of his job was to keep that fresh fire along with the fresh oil. The lamps were always lit with certain parts of the tabernacle that demonstrated to us, you and I here today, that this is just a shadow of what is yet to come. You see, there was a place in the Old Testament, in the, in the secret place, so to speak, but there was a veil that was only designed, only designated for the priest, the high priest. He would go there once a year, and he would bring the sins of the people, and he would confess the sins. But you and I now have a promise that we have access to God. You don't have to go through a man. You don't have to to be such and such. You don't have to try to put on an act, but you simply come as you are. Isn't that good news? The promise that he will not uh, uh, forsake you or, or hold you away or heart hold you at arm's length. We have so many blessings. He comes to us. He said, call, call unto me. Jeremiah said, call unto me, and I will show you great and mighty things. Call unto me. Cry out to me, and I will answer you. And so we see throughout Scripture, there were so many blessings. We know that salvation is number one. We've been set apart. We've been forgiven. We have escaped, as we read, the corruption that is in the world by lust. This world is in trouble. The world is in corruption. But Jesus comes to save a people who will call upon him. If we will just have a few Old Testament stories, of just, if there will just be a few people praying, then God would intervene and save entire nations. We have Jonah and his story. 
Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh for some odd reason. That was between him and God. We learned a little bit about what he felt, what he felt by not going, that God was going to spare him, and he, maybe he had excuses. But God, because he, he went, spared Nineveh. Listen, when you share your testimony, when you witness and you love people around you, you're preaching God. You're declaring him as the hope and the next, the, the only hope. When we, hear, when we hear bad reports, we don't have to look very far. We hear corruption, a world that is struggling. They don't, don't know how to behave, don't know how to handle. There's no limit to what the flesh will do. This sort of out of control. But the Bible says that we can have control, that we can actually have self-control. We learned a little bit about it in Sunday school, that self-control comes from the Holy Spirit, that we can say no to sin and yes to God, that we can control ourselves in situations. We don't have to follow the way of the world. We have overcome the world. First John says, the young men, we have overcome him. They have overcome the world. And so we have promises. He is a precious, precious God that we serve. And he has a precious promise for you today. If you need access to him, if you need to pour your heart out to him, he is there for you today. There is a promise that he heals. There's a promise that he heals. Isaiah 50 says that he's, by his stripes we are healed. Second, first Peter rather says we were healed. We are already here. In fact, the, 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 the price is paid. You were healed. But I think one of the greatest healings is that we would come to Christ and know him. First and foremost, the greatest healing is to accept Jesus because that's where the true, the true uh, problem, that when that's taken care of, the rest of it will take care of itself in God. And we begin to trust him. There's so many promises, but just a few that I mentioned, with the forgiveness and the cleansing. We can come with him, come to him in an openness. And see, now we're going to read on. And first, uh, second Peter. It's like Peter is following up on his second letter. It's almost like he wanted to make sure that they were getting what God was speaking to them. At verse 12, therefore I shall always be ready to remind you of these things. Listen, how many need to be reminded? Three, four? I mean, how many need to lay things out so you don't forget? Give yourself some kind of reminder. We know a lot of the truths that are in the Bible. But sometimes we just forget. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's right. God did say he'll never leave us or forsake us. Even when I'm old. No one's old. We may be seasoned. God doesn't throw out. 
God has a plan for you to live forever with him. This life is short in comparison to all eternity. But while we're here, he says to give it all you got. He says to work for me. He says to trust in me. He says to believe. He says to walk in my light. He says to have faith in God. He says to be out. He will remind you of these things, even though you already know them. You see, sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm repeating myself and preaching to the choir. But listen, I need this stuff. I need it. I'm preaching to myself as well. I need to be reminded that he has us in his sight, that he is there, and he understands every, every step, every stress, every anxiety, every notion. And I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder. What is Peter saying? He's reflecting on verse 13 that he's not going to live forever here. He understands that his day will come. But he also understands that there is a new life, that there is a new body, that there is a new place that is called heaven, that, that the real home is heaven above. And he said, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, that's going to happen. And Peter's like, he's okay. I'm ready, but until then, I'm going to be a light. I'm going to be a light as long as the Lord lendeth me breath. And if there's someone that's next to me in that place where I'm drawing my last breath, I want to be able to touch by the power of Jesus and the presence of the Lord. It is a wonderful thing. When a person dies in the Lord, in a sense, there's this, that they step into their real life, eternal. And so often there's such a peace. So often there's a peace, and it needs to be. Because he said, I will be with you. Even when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. He's with us. Listen today. God wants us to be ready. He wants us to be living in such a way that when we see Jesus, we will not be taken by surprise. That we will not be a stranger. That he's not a stranger to us. And we're not a stranger to him. That we simply draw one curtain and he opens another. And he welcomes us in. I believe if we could only see a glimpse of glory today, that we would, things on this earth would begin to, you know what? Why am I hanging on to so much stuff? Why am I bothered by so many things? And the Lord puts in perspective that we're going to live with him forever. Friends, whatever you're carrying today, whatever is concerning you, God knows about it. God is concerned about your heart trusting in him, your, your surrender to him. God is concerned about your kids just as much as you and more and your grandkids. God is concerned about their eternal destiny. And so when we pray, when we have the promises, the precious promises, he says to believe on the Lord and you shall be saved and your household. We can proclaim the promises over our kids 
and over their kids and extended family and neighbors proclaim and claim the promises of God for your family. If we could only see him, have a glimpse. This happened in Peter's time. Although he walked with Jesus when Jesus was on the earth, he had an experience along with a couple other the disciples. Remember the story? They went up on a mount, and Jesus says he showed himself. He appeared. What, what does that mean? He was in his heavenly body. And he, sh- he shined. He sh- and then and the disciples, it says, you read that story in the Gospel of Luke, and the disciples were afraid. There's nothing like they've ever seen before, nothing like they've ever felt before, and they shrunk back. You see, the presence of God will change us. But here's what happened. In that story, actually it was Matthew 17. In that story, it says Jesus touched him. But Jesus touched them. And it got a hold of my spirit. Would Jesus touch us? Would Jesus touch you and I today? Would, would we be changed for the better? It only takes a touch of Jesus. It only takes a moment of Jesus' touch to bring about hope where there is no hope. The touch of Jesus that brings back and restores your joy, whether it's taken away. And when he restores your faith and he gives you a reason to live because of the master's hand, because of Jesus. And he goes on, Peter describes here, and I will also be diligent that any time after my departure, verse 15, but we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, referring now to that mount of transfiguration, for he received honor and glory from God the Father. They heard this voice, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Second Peter 1 verse 17. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Friends, we, we can have a moment with Jesus so that we, when we come off the mountain, we are able to put our hand to the plow and go to the workplace and go to the place where God has assigned us and be the salt and the light and be the affecting uh, people around us rather than people affecting us. Are you with me? I believe that God has, has, has us here for the reason that we might be the salt and light of the earth. He saved you not only for eternity, but he saved you so that you and I can speak a message to other people around that are questioning God, that are wondering, is there any God? Is there any God? Is there a real God? Is there just somehow there's a God, but they don't have a relationship with him, you and I need to help them. And you can do that by loving him. 
consistently. The Holy Spirit is so gentle with us. The Holy Spirit is so patient. God himself, look how long-suffering. He's not willing that any should perish. He's not willing that any go to eternity without him. But he's given us the word so that we can tell people around us. And James 1.22 says, But prove yourselves to be doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. And somehow we've got to get the word from this mind to the heart that controls our whole livelihood. It controls our whole actions. Oftentimes, this old heart, the spiritual man, needs a touch of Jesus. I cannot do it in my own strength. No matter how hard we try, and the problem is, oftentimes, I believe, when we try to do it in our own strength, and we got to say, Jesus, I admit I need you. Without your blessing, we've been talking about this blessing in Sunday school. Lord, will you bless me? I cannot go very far. I cannot get very far in the day until I'm overwhelmed by responsibilities and earthly things. But if you will bless me, I will begin to see more like you see. I will begin to think more like I ought to think. I will have the balance, and I will begin, even as my brother and I talked this morning, sometimes we have to say no in order to put things in balance and perspective and keep our health. Are you with me? Sometimes we have to say, you know what? I'd like to do that, but I can't do that now. You see what I'm saying? It's okay. It's okay. Your walk with the Lord is more important. Your, your time with Jesus. You can get caught in such so much of, you know, we need to do, but all of a sudden we find ourselves as we do, we're not being at the same time. So in order to do right, in order to do effectively, we've got to have time to be with him so that he flows through us. And it becomes so much easier when it's God doing it through you and I. Amen? When it's God nudging you to go somewhere, when it's God himself, you have the energy, you have the touch that he can only give, you have the wisdom, you have the discernment, you have to say, you know what? This doesn't seem right. This is, no, this is going to go this way. I'm going to change directions. And so we have this wonderful word Peter's saying, I'll remind you, I'm going to stir up. I'm going to, I'm going to keep you informed. I'm going to keep writing. I'm going, to keep, I'm going to keep praying so that you have the promises. And he reflects on the time and the, on the Mount of Transfiguration. Verse 19, so we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. 
until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. Almost a re reference to the day dawns and the morning starts. Almost a reference to the second coming of the Lord. Don't be caught up guard. Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming for this church. Jesus is coming for those who are looking for him. Jesus is coming back. But until then, we know that this will happen. And he then reminds us in verse 20, know this first of all, that no prophecy or scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. When we approach God's word, we approach it with this. It's God's word speaking to you and I. He has the authority. It is God's word because he used the man as a vessel, as an instrument. God breathed. God moved. It wasn't just the human humanity. It was God moving through the human person. What I always, it, it, it's almost like, why would God limit himself, so to speak, to this? Touching a frailty, touching our being. Wouldn't it be easier, God, if you just came down and did it yourself? Ever had those thoughts? But listen, God looks for a, a heart in whom he can fill. His eyes move to and fro throughout the earth. There's the scripture in the books of Chronicles. And his heart is ready to be filled. I think that he has people in mind for you and I to visit people assignments that he has for us to pray for. He has people in mind. He has places of ministry that he wants to show to us. You see, it doesn't always have to be across the ocean. I mean, that's, that's part of the ministry. But when you go to the marketplace, there are people in our community that are hurting. And oh, may the Lord be in us in such a way that we would see people with compassion. We would see them in the light of Jesus. We would be able to say, you know what? Perhaps I should say, hi, or how are you? If you see a family with small children, you can bless those kids. Touch them. Bless them. Don't be irritated by them. You know, they're kids. You were a kid once, right? I mean, we all need our space, right? But there are times there's nothing more touching when we take time with a child. What did Jesus do when the disciples brought these kids and said, you know, we, we got to get these kids out of your way? What did Jesus do? No, no. Such is the kingdom kingdom belongs to. Why did he say that? Because unless we become like a child, unless we are, have a childlike faith, 
The problem with too many people is that we've got to figure it out. We've got to take charge. We've got to do the work ourselves. And Jesus said, you know what? I've already done the work. I've done it for you. Touch children. Touch young people, a young teenager. We are struggling. We are struggling. We're losing teens. Well, we gain, we gain a lot of young people in our church and through the denomination, but there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a trend. There's more suicide than I've ever heard of in my history, my life, in teens. We need to love on them. We may not, they may not, they may be out of your comfort zone, but you can love them. Give them a little attention. I know we don't have many teens in our church, but there's places. And I know Joe works in a place where he has, a, he has such a mission field. It's overwhelming. He's a janitor, right? You're overwhelming. He, he's doing such a good job because he's there and he just he, he remembers their names and he just he gives them attention enough that they go to him sometimes. That's powerful. That's powerful. You see... We've got to look beyond the four walls of the church and see our communities as places of ministry that's happening. Extensions. Everyone has a, a place where you live, and now you're an extension of the overall church. God has places. I believe that there are places and in, in tucked away in crevices and corners and recesses and country roads, tucked away back in the lakes area wonderful place to live but God has people in this community for you and I to, to rescue and I'm believing oh Lord will you touch my heart will you touch me today Lord as you lay someone on my heart will you lay some soul and love that soul we sung that song years ago and love that soul through me you see, it's not about always, always being preachy or always being, you know, bringing up God, but it's just showing up and being a neighbor. It's just coming through, whether it's a deed in some way, form, or fashion. Can we reach people? And you will, because Jesus is in you. You are reaching people. I don't know about you, but the time seems to be so short that the Lord is coming soon. And I'm praying, God, will you help us have a harvest? Will you have, help us to have people we can bring to you? We already prayed this, that God would make us aware. Sometimes I need to pray for myself. Oh, Lord, I know you're here, but Lord, help me to be more aware. Help me to be more sensitive to your leading. Help me to be more tuned in to your presence.